episode 27 of Etc. Etc. with Young Southpaw. That's moi. Me, if you ain't got your French tongue on. I've been thinking, you know. That film, Funny Farm. George Orwell, you know. I mean, I used to be a huge Sarah Michelle Gellar fan back in the day. We'd check smgfan.com on the reg. And I saw she was in that movie. I mean, the internet still claims this. I mean, I'd gone to see Funny Farm when it came out in 1988. Didn't remember her at all. So I rented it again, you know, back in the day. Watched it twice. But I could see hide nor hair of her. And it was weird, too, because, I mean, you'd think with Buffy, you know. I mean, in hindsight, at least, you'd think, Funny Farm, you know. Have it be about bats. And she's still a vampire slayer. Heck, have Funny Farm as Buffy's origin story. I know on a farm, bats aren't really the main animals. Animal Farm, that's the Orwell book. I mean, anyway, my point still stands, you know? Have it be about the bats and Sarah Michelle Gellar on this farm. I guess like these vampires could be, you know, the up-and-coming stand-up comedians of the day. Hence the name Funny Farm. It's weird, too, you know, like with farm and firm. Just one letter off, you know? But like farms, you think of outdoors, nature, you know? Firm puts you in mind of offices, right? All stuffy, cubicles, hangnails, you know? Or firm like that Jimmy Page supergroup from the 80s. And Zeppelin recorded at farmhouses, so he's covering everything there. It's also weird because firms, you know, are groups of people. But, I mean, they can't use that old saying, you know, there is no I in firm. Because it's right there, you know. It's one of the four, it's 25% of the word. I mean, they could spell it differently, you know, like F-E-R-M. Pronounced the same way, but, you know, I'm, there's a me in there. The M and the E. I know it's backwards, but it's still 50% of the word. You can't argue with statistics like that. Or spell it with a U, you know, you and I are completely different. There are no you and I in team. No matter what form that team takes. And besides, most team sports are played outside, you know? Like on a farm. And Chevy Chase was a sports writer in that film, remember? I mean, football, all the versions, you know, baseball, volleyball, bringing it back to Buffy. Spike, you know? Well, a spike is something different on a farm. A willow, too. Dawn, farmer's getting up at the crack of. And Seth Green's character was named Oz. He must have been a shoo-in for that role. Like the Emerald City from The Wizard of, etc., And you got the Scarecrow bringing it back to the farm. And then like what grows on a farm. And there's that magical food movie Sarah Michelle Gellar was in. Simply irresistible, you know. Which I was hoping would be about her time in Robert Palmer's backing band. Heck, he should have been a guest on Buffy. Like a detective, you know. Looking for clues. If y'all want to hear the rest of this story, and believe me, there's more, head on over to youngsouthpaw.com or 
any of your podcast providing services and dial up the Young Southpaw part of an hour. It's this week's story show. But let's get to this week's show of this podcast. We got Mr. Anton Barbeau on the show. A few weeks ago, he added me on Twitter and I saw his bio comparing him to Robin Hitchcock, Julian Cope, and XTC. So, of course, I checked it out. And it's that English eccentric music that I love. Anton's, of course, American living in Berlin, but you know, it's the music that matters. And we had an excellent conversation talking about all those cats and a whole lot more. So let's get to it. All right. We're here today with Mr. Anton Barbeau, two dudes wearing sunglasses. How you doing today, man? <laughs> I'm all right, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about your new record, man, which is a double concept album. Man Bird, tell me about this. How did the idea come to you? Um... Well, I was with Julia in Spain. We were on tour in 2017, I think it was. And we went to see the film Lady Bird, which is set in my hometown of Sacramento. And, it, and it's sort of uh, the, the main character. She's a Catholic school girl who just can't wait to get out of, uh, get out of town, you know, leave town. And, you know, it's, it's filmed in, in many locations that are very familiar to me. And I was a Catholic schoolboy, So there's a lot of resonance. And after we, after we uh, left the cinema, we were just at some cafe and joking about making a film called Manbird, you know, just where, where I kind of track ladybirds, uh, you know, comings and goings, but uh, not, not in a stalkery way, mind just, uh, just in a sort of a, you know, meandering, Oh, it's, it's my hometown. Hurrah. Um, but, I think at some point just decided, yeah, stick with music, kid. And so I uh, turned it into a, I, I knew that was a good title for a song, Manbird. And so I kind of worked on the song. And then the rest of the album just kind of went from there, became, you know, whereas Ladybird, uh, she's very, very eager to get out of town immediately, as soon as she can. Uh, for me, I, 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 I didn't want to leave. I was kind of, you know, a bit of a chicken and stayed, stayed put as long as I could. And oh, so, one of the songs is called Chicken. Exactly. <laughs> but you've since lived quite a few places. Yeah. <laughs> quite far yeah, from. I, I, did, I did, in fact, finally get out of uh, Sacramento. I moved first to, well, we were, we were talking about this earlier. I, I moved to England um, and uh, lived there for five or six years. Um, you know, I mean, five years for sure, and then six or seven years worth of spending a lot of time there on and off. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, um, went to Berlin and have been there or was there from 2011 up till early this year. And then I've been back in California since the pandemic hit. Um, did you kind of so, get yeah. caught out back here when you were, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, I think I was in Berlin, but it, I think the idea was, you know, because I've got I've got people here, and 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 the idea was to kind of get out while I could get a flight, because the, you know there's that kind of pandemic panic that was happening, and and sure enough, my uh, the scene at the airport at Tegel Airport in in Berlin was, you know, even by German standards, a bit chaotic with you know, when they're they're canceling flights, and suddenly everyone is you know, social distancing was out the window, and everyone you know, especially all the Americans, you know, get out of my way, I gotta get a flight, man, and and then so we get to the next queue to try to get a uh, next flight booked and then there's a bomb scare it's just uh, you know and that's 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 how i got out of berlin you know it was a bit bit chaotic but um wow well, yeah one of, one of the things i like about the new record is you know with the whole bird idea like theme there's also lots of lyrical talk about airports and stewardesses and air, airplanes and whatnot yeah so it's pretty I, yeah go on well, yeah, I mean, that, that's been my life for the past years, you know, uh, between, between touring in Europe or, and, and coming back here. Uh, I'm always in an airport. I'm always on an airplane. Um, and kind of living between, living two lives, you know, my, my life in California, my life in, 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 in Europe, and never quite feeling really settled you know, I don't know where I live. I don't know where I am. I, you know, what time is my jet lag over, you know? Uh, yeah. 
per permanent jet lag and so forth. And so, so yeah, that was, that really was a theme of the record is trying to, you know, if, if part of the, if one of the themes is, uh, is leaving home, there's also the, the idea of trying to return home wherever that even is. Um, and there are a lot of birds in the record too, actual, you know, we've got flammulated owls and tits and crows and, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, you're a, yeah, I'm a, uh, yeah I'm a, I, I don't, am I a bird watcher? You know, something like that. I want to ask thematically, were you tempted to cover Iron Maiden's Flight of Icarus? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh thinking no. of a man bird that was the first image that came to my mind sure yeah yeah no i i i kind of uh i i, I managed to, to to fill a double album with with a, enough sort of bird related and airport related and <laughs> yeah, material that i was i was good with that so. you didn't need the maiden tunes <laughs> so memory tone is my favorite song off the record tell me about mm. this one um well, weirdly, that's the most officially ABBA-influenced song on this album. I, uh, over the course of making this record, I got into ABBA and Fleetwood Mac big time. And these are bands that I had, up to this point, kind of spent my life despising for no clear reason, you know. I don't know why I didn't like ABBA. I don't know. Now that I'm a, an ABBA freak, I do not understand how I could never have. And it's your initials, it. too. <laughs> don't tell anybody this um <laughs> and um and so any, anyway um that song in a way was just me trying to do something in an abba i, I it's not not meant to sound like them but it's just sort of the, the structure of their songs which is basically hook 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 pre-chorus chorus with hook hook layered hooks more hooks things 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 going on and um so I was just trying to do that with the, with the structure of the song, you know, where, where it's just sort of, it's relentlessly, hopefully catchy and, and, uh, and also sort of, to me, oddly, with that song, it's probably the least autobiographical track on the record. I mean, it's still taking place in an airport. This, this person is still uh, trying to figure out, you know, he's trying to get home or he's come home and there's nobody waiting for him or, or whatever. So the themes are still consistent with everything else on the album, but it, but it's probably um, the least sort of specific to my real life. Other, other songs I think are much more so, but uh, um, I'm glad you like that one. You know, I, I had a lot of fun putting that one together. So. Yeah. It's super, I didn't, I didn't hear Ab at all. It's super catchy, but like, I wouldn't have thought that unless I had you know, read you saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not obvious. Nobody, Nobody's ever said, oh, there's so clearly the Abbott influence there, you know. But, uh, so did you have a moment where you realized, oh, dang, I'm, I like Abba and Fleetwood Mac now? Or was it sort of gradual? Oh, no, no. It was definitely, definitely uh, uh, serious moments, you know. And those are the kind of things that, um, you know, kind of live for that. You know, those are epiphanies. And I think as I've gotten older, it becomes more important and more entertaining to kind of look backwards and think, well, what, what else did I miss out on? Um, and, uh, you know, musically or otherwise. And it's always awesome to discover an artist with a huge back catalog that you can get into. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, but I think getting into ABBA, um, getting into their entire catalog, um, it was a bit like discovering a new Beatles for me. Um, because yeah i mean so so anyway uh, so again i think i think the abba thing started i don't know if it was on the same tour in spain with julia but uh we were in some little airbnb somewhere and she said so you really don't like abba I'm like i do not like abba you know and she said well here let's check this out and so listen to a few songs and i probably said well it's catchy <laughs> but um you know i don't i don't remember exactly what it was that broke me finally but uh um, at some point, you know, maybe I think she had Abba Gold. So we're listening to the greatest hits. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a good song. That's a well-written, well-crafted, you know, you kind of get into it from that angle. And then the songs just start to stick and, yeah. and it became irresistible. And, and, um, and then, and then she got me for, for my birthday, she got me um, the, the sort of little box set of all of their albums. And we, we booked a hotel in Reno and, um, you know, spent a couple of days in a hotel room listening to all of ABBA's albums, you know, as you do, right? And um, 
uh, you know, became I was pr- pretty much, uh, uh, you know, fanatic at, at that point. What are some of your favorite ABBA tunes? Oh, God. Um, almost all of them. Almost anything. I mean, uh, they're, they're, I'm, just, I'm just kind of uh, of the hits. Uh, I think Super Trooper is an amazing track. And it's one where the, where the guys, they, they, they always kind of give themselves a really cool backing vocal part that nobody probably ever really notices, but they're, they're in the background going, this is great. You know, Stupid. you know, um, nice. uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of B sides and things like Elaine, I think it's a great track. Um, the visitors that, that, you know, the lead, the title track. Yeah. That that's, that's one that, that's the one that I would play for anybody who says, Oh, I don't like Apple, you know, let me listen to this. Yeah. doesn't even, doesn't even sound or feel like that, but what a track, you know? So. I remember, uh, in the late nineties, I think select magazine published like a list of the top 10 mental breakdown records, which, you know, when you're, you know, late teens, early twenties, that sort of thing appeals. And I was like, oh, I got to hear all these. And like the visitors was in that list. And I remember mm-hmm. getting it and being like, yeah, this isn't how I think of ABBA. This is dark, yeah. but really, cool musically and very still very catchy yeah i think a lot of their music a a fair amount of their music is far more um grown up than we may have noticed at the time or given credit for you know they can they can certainly they've cranked out a lot of just whimsically catchy frivolous seeming tunes but but yeah they've got some um you know this is a a very divorcey band isn't it (laughs) you know and so they, they really they really touch on the human condition in a way that I did not expect. So you mentioned the Beatles sticking with a memory tone. Is that the Paul McCartney Christmas song sound in there on the uh, the bridge? Like after the second chorus, it sounds a lot like it. <laughs> well, I, I I couldn't I can't say yes, you know, in any conscious way, but. Um, um, I'm certainly a fan of that song. Uh, you, you mean uh, like "Wonderful Christmas Time," right? Yeah, the uh, the right. keyboard sound like. No, that wasn't anything intentional on my part. But I'll, now I'm going to go have to listen to, to "Wonderful Christmas Time" and, and my track, and so I, I can, you know, I'm sure that I'm sure. Yeah, like I said, I'm a fan of of, of, of Paul's uh, Christmas tune, and I'm sure it's crept in. So I'm going to give you a yes now. <laughs> Now, what made you fall in love with music as a kid? Do you remember? Well, yeah, back to the Beatles. You know, my parents had five or six Beatles records, plus plus John Lennon's Imagine. Uh, when I was when I was you know when I was growing up, when I was first born, and I imagine that I probably heard Sergeant. I'm I'm 53, so I, you know I was born in '67, about a month before Sergeant Pepper came out. So I. I you know, I'm sure I was hearing Beatles before I was even born, and I'm sure I heard Sergeant Pepper when it was first out, even though I was only, you know, uh, a wee baby. But, um, but yeah, the Beatles. I just I do remember my earliest memories crawling around through my parents' collection trying to find the one that had "I Want to Hold Your Hand." You know, that was my favorite song from age zero. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's also a, a, there's a, a kind of a for me, it's a really powerful, vague memory. Um, I was with my mother uh, in her Studebaker in, you know, whatever year, early 1970, 71, something like that. We were driving around somewhere and on the radio, this, this gorgeous little pop tune came on. And I remember thinking, what is this? What is this? And I was, you know, just old enough to probably be able to ask, what is this? What, what song is this? But she didn't recognize it. And this was, you know, a few months before Shazam was invented. And so we had, you know, there was no really, we didn't, we didn't find out what it was. I didn't, I don't know. And so I kind of feel like I've perhaps spent my life uh, as a songwriter trying to, you know, recreate that song, you know, find it subconsciously, you know, no idea what it was. That is excellent. I love that. <laughs> as, you ever dream songs? I rarely, um, but in fact, there is one track on the Manbird album called Dreamscape 4, I think. And it, I had a lot of dreams informing this album, which is unusual. I don't, you know, I was, I was, I was really committed to this, this sort of concept album, you know, and these dreams were saying, do this, do that. And I had one dream um, 
it was I, I there was a woman who who created this this piece of music that was very layered intricate lots of vocals and it was just gorgeous and i was so jealous i, I thought i want to make music like that it's you know and i but i woke up and thought that was that was my song you know <laughs> even even though in the dream it was definitely somebody else and and so i tried as soon as i as soon as i woke up i i, I tried replicating it and i came nowhere near it not even close so the track on the album called dreamscape 4 it's just you know it's more an homage to that dream or to the idea of this this music that i could imagine but i couldn't create myself even though in the dream i somehow did um so i'm still i would still love to approach the music that i had in that dream and and and, and figure you know that's the funny thing is like being an insecure guy as i am as soon as i woke up i thought oh i couldn't do that i can't do something like that even though in it's my your subconscious yeah, even though it was right there, you know, it, was a, it was a strange experience, and uh, I'd love to. I still love to try to come closer to that that song. It was it was gorgeous. It was really lovely. Oh, wow, that's so, awesome. Yeah. yeah, I find I have lots of my best ideas right on the verge of sleep, mm-hmm. and if I don't force myself to get up and write them down or sing them into my phone or something, they're lost. But there's something about that space that uh, it's very creative. And do you feel is this is this when you're just falling asleep or just waking up is there is it just falling asleep there are a few times just waking up where i'll try to remember the dream try to keep playing replaying it but then like it often changes you know as you become as you enter into the waking world again you know yeah. <laughs> so i was gonna ask talking about bands you get compared to robin hitchcock julian cope and xtc a lot are you fans of those guys oh well i i am very much so okay. huge, huge influences um um i i it's funny because i've sort of found ways of connecting um if not directly to the artists you know to to the to those who kind of have worked with them um so that's been kind of a funny little part of my career story in the past few years. I had a band in England called Three Minute Tees, which was, uh, which included Andy Metcalf and Morris Windsor, who were in the Egyptians and in Soft Boys. Um, and I've also worked with Kimberly Rue. And uh, we did a gig once, um, Three Minute Tees, you know, Andy and Morris and myself with, with Matthew Seligman, who we lost earlier this year to COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he sat in with us as well. So, um, so you know the, the, that world, the, the Robin Hitchcock world, is, is is something I've definitely dipped more than a few toes into. And I, you know, Robin's a, a huge influence as a songwriter. Maybe, maybe not so much anymore because I kind of I went through the period where I, you know, upon discovering his music and just it, it made perfect sense to me. You know, it was sort of the, the idealized version of what I wish I could, what I was you know trying to do or something like that. And so I aspired to that, but. Um, um, yeah, these days, like I said, it's ABBA and Fleetwood Mac, but, uh, you know, so Robin Hitchcock's a big, big influence and, uh, XTC, of course, I, I did end up working with Colin Moulding, um, on a couple things. So that was wonderful. Um, and, uh, I, I supported Julian Cope on a cup on, on dates on his 2011 and 2012 tours. And that was, you know, it was amazing. That's a dream come true. Um, wow. Yeah. So. I saw that tour. I don't, you weren't on it though. I saw him play in Reading in 2012. Okay, yeah, I did. 2012, I did um, Harlow in Essex, and I did uh, Oxford. So uh, I did two, two of those dates, yeah. Because he was doing, like, he did The Great Dominions, which was amazing. Yeah. That teardrop song, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, the, the, one of the coolest things for me about doing those shows with him uh, was was watching, watching him do sound check because he would just... He'd sit down. He was so cool with everybody. He was just really, you know, he treated everyone well, made everyone feel good. So whoever, you know, whoever was working the venue, he was, he was just really sweet with people. Um, anyway, so he sits down at the, the Mellotron. He's got his Mellotron with his Casio on top of it. And, and as soon as he hits the, the little drum machine in the Casio, he just starts to groove, you know, and it's just, he's just sitting there doing a sound check, grooving to a drum machine, but he's glowing. It's that, that, thing that he does is happening no matter you know, because he's one 100% committed all the time to, to what he does. And, and I really felt that you could just, you could see it 
from you know from from the room. Um, and this is just a sound check. This is just a hitting a drum machine during the sound check, and awesome. and it, that was as powerful almost as the gigs themselves. You know, so yeah, yeah, it was cool. Nice. Yeah. You're saying maybe not being as influenced by Robin anymore. Your last three albums, Magic Act, Natural Causes, and Berliner Grotesque, you refer to as your Transfiguration trilogy? Yeah. Were you transfigured? <laughs> well, I mean, what, what, what's meant by that is that each of those records uh, started off um, with the intention of being something else. So, the, so the, first of, the first of those records, Magic Act, was meant to be the third three-minute tease record, but that band broke up. So... Instead, it's it's mostly it's mostly a three-minute tease record because Andy and Morris are are on many of those tracks. Plus, Colin Molding is on bass there as well. And uh, but but like I said, that one started off as a three-minute tease album that became a solo record. And then the next one, Natural Causes, um, was originally uh, what was it? What was it called? Um, I think Apple Wax or something like that. And it was it was right sort of on the edge of of the the Trump election in 2016. So the songs were really dark and full of guns, you know, and uh, uh, locked and loaded. And, and um, so here I was making this, this kind of ugly record that I probably didn't even like. And after the election, you know, there's this idea when he, when he got elected in 2016, there's this idea that we're all going to have to be punk rock from now on. We're all going to be, be angry. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to break the system down and somehow we're going to overcome. Uh, and I just thought I can't do that. That's that's not true to to me. I mean, I I I was full of as much disgust as as anybody, but I couldn't I couldn't put those songs out there and feel good. It wasn't right. So I with Natural Causes, I, I you know that record be, that became Natural Causes, I decided I wanted to try to make something really lovely. So twelve string guitars and mellotrons and synthesizers, you know, sort of uh, popple vu meets prefab sprout or something like that. You know. Nice. Um, yeah, and so just wanting to do something, you know, put something really good into the world, you know, put a, a, a piece of music that just had a gorgeous sound to it. And I think, I think that record really, it works on that level. I'm really, I'm really happy about that. And then the third one in the trilogy, Berliner Grotesque, um, it started off as a photograph, which became an album cover. And I thought, okay, and now I'm going to, because it's my nature I, uh, to, to kind of, you know, I'm definitely a, a bite the hand kind of fellow. Um, and I thought, well, I've just made this really lovely record, Natural Causes, that people seem to like. So I'll make a really hideous industrial record that will make people hate me again. And so I started off trying to do something nasty and quite dumb. And within a few minutes or days or hours of that, I started writing real songs again. And so it became a piano-based sort of, you know, cabaret album or something. So it went from trying to be this really hideous uh, hideous thing to to quite a quite a nice little record, Berliner Grotesque. So so each of those records was meant to be this, but they they each became that. And um, yeah, gotcha. Now Magazine Street was an old song. The yeah. right that you yeah yeah reworked for Natural Causes. Tell me about that. That's a great tune, man. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was. Um, I think uh, I think I saw that you you interviewed Steve Kilby. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So Ma Magazine Street. Don't tell anybody this, but Magazine Street was. Um, uh, yeah. This is this is my attempt at writing um, under the Milky Way. So, so I would, yeah, and so you know because um, you know we're talking about influences, and I'm saying, well, you know, I I'm not as influenced by certain artists anymore because I've kind of absorbed everything I could. But there's definitely a time in in my earlier songwriting days where. I'd hear something I liked and just say, okay, I'm having that. And I would try to replicate it in my own writing. And usually it's not obvious to other people, which is, I think is a sign of successful writing, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I was a, I was a big church fan. And, um, and so magazine street was, was, uh, was inspired by under the Milky way. Um, oh, wow. I wouldn't have seen that either. So. Yeah. Well, and there's a, there's a, there's a street in, um, I don't even know what town it is, but it's, it, you know, when we're coming back, uh, um, say, you know, after a gig in San Francisco or something, driving back to Sacramento, you always, after you pay the toll, go through the toll bridge, uh, there's the Magazine Street exit. And um, I know other songwriters uh, uh, from around here who, who have songs called Magazine Street because you see it and you just think, that's the, 
That's a perfect song title. And I love that. I love, I live for, for those, those perfect song titles, you know, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a gift when you get that. And so, um, do you keep a list? Well, sure. Sure. I mean, I've always got a, you know, I've always got the note, the notebook. Which, right which, on you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Cause titles, the song titles are the best, um, best way of getting, getting something good. Cause if, if you got a good title, you know, you have to live up to that. You have to write a song that's as good as, as the title. So, so yeah, Magazine Street kind of came out of that. And, um, very, yeah. very jangly guitar stuff at the time. So that I was doing. So on Man Burr, the new record, Cowboy John was the first song you ever wrote when you were eight. Yeah. Yeah. What was the impetus to put it, to release it now? <laughs> Well, again, the the Manbird record, it's um, it's kind of a look back at my whole musical life, or my you know, my whole life, but but with a, a focus on um, certain key points musically for me, and so I think that kind of just had to had to be there somehow. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's a funny little track because the song cowboy john is is literally that's it you know that little sequence i'm cowboy john and i live on a farm that's the entire song right but um and i would go over to, to my friend's house and try it on his piano or or when i was at my grandmother's house i'd play it on her piano for hours you know there's not much to it but um so so in the on the manbird record it's 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 kind of merged with uh, my version of Green Sleeves, which uh, was the name of a stuffed stuffed animal pet toy that I had as a child that my my dog one day decided to you know eat, and uh, you know this is all in the lyrics of the song. But uh, my my parents really did they they pulled the music box out and they said, well, here's this anyway because that that was all that was left of the of this beautiful stuffed toy. Um, and so they gave me this <laughs> ding, 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 ding. And it's quite, quite sad. Um, and so just as a, a look backwards at my musical life, you know, these kind of key moments that, that, that seemed like it had to go on there. Um, so that's kind of the story of, of, uh, Cowboy John. And, uh, How did you feel after writing your first ever song? I was, I know I was excited. I mean, I was just excited about music and excited to, you know, do my own thing with it. Um, I was always trying to pick out little melodies anyway on, on any piano I could find. And so I, it was, it was in me. Um, I don't remember specifically that one um, because it's such a, it's hardly a song, but I, uh, yeah. years later when I was, when I was uh, 13, that's when I sort of wrote my first real song with chords and a chorus and, you know, and that was, um, it's really funny because I was, even though I was sort of the Beatles baby, it was Gary Newman that, that, that zapped me into uh, becoming a musician. That's what I want to do. And yet, uh, ironically or not, my very first real song is called Come Back. And it's this ridiculous kind of Buddy Holly thing. Come back, don't go. You still don't know how much I love you, girl, so please come back and never leave me again. It's, you know, uh, a very 1950s kind of thing. So I don't know how the Gary Newman uh, uh, influence <laughs> cranked that out. but uh, So that was more like, I've got a real song. I've written a song. And, you know, the funny thing about that one is it's not a it's not that bad a song. It wasn't, it, it wasn't, you know, maybe somebody I'll, you know, for Manbird too, I'll, I'll include Come Back or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. So that was, I, I was proud of that because that, that's when I started, you know, that's when I knew I was a songwriter, when I wrote Come Back, you know, and I had that notebook that had Come Back and I had other songs like Memories of London, you know, or whatever it was called. Um, all these, tons of songs about being heartbroken or, or you know, about people I, you know, girls I'd never even met because I was only 13, you know, but, you know, just trying to imagine all this heartbreak. And, yeah. you know. Now, I can't think of any songs with the word beak in them. And yet on Manbird, you've got six. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. I did. I never, I didn't actually tally it up, but I'm, I, I, I don't doubt that there are six beaks. Well, there's, there. there's five there. And then, uh, the Art of Beaking is the B-side. Well, you know, oh, right. <laughs> they all came out this year, which is still, I can't think of any other songs with Beak. I mean, a Beak, I guess, is a mouthpiece. Like, what, is, what does this mean for you? Well, I mean, honestly, 
I do just like the word. You know, I, there are a lot of words that I really like, and beak is a very satisfying word. It's like larb, you know, which is a, a Thai, Thai dish, right? Larb. To say, you know, larb. Larb. And, yeah, yeah and it, it's kind of, a, in a way, the opposite of beak. Beak's very conclusive. By the time you get to that K, you're done. Beak. Yeah. Um, actually, it's not entirely true because there's a little extra at the end of the K, right? Beak. Beak. Um, whereas larb, you know, there's nowhere to go. Larb. Um, but anyway, so, so I, I just like the word. But, um, and with this record, uh, there's so many bird themes anyway that, that uh, it became, beak became kind of an easy go-to for you know, playing with, with the bird feeling. And I'm mean, honestly, the, the art of beaking uh, was a song that the only reason it was even um, a man bird song was because I st stuck the word beak in it because otherwise the original version had nothing to do with the record. It, it, it was just a song that was written at around the same time, but I thought, Oh, maybe it'll go on the album. So I better put some beaks or some birds or some feathers or something on there. And so, uh, kind of cheating in, in that case but um and that's probably why it didn't make the actual album so okay. but uh and then there's beak uh, parts one and two and that's you know just a chance to uh, an excuse to chant the word beak you know who doesn't want that true <laughs> oh dainty beak I mean, that's a nice phrase yeah that's uh, i mean I have, to, I have to say that was that was written the day after my my best friend janet died Oh, and so it's well, thanks. I mean, it's a it's a weird one to kind of you know. But I mean, I think that's the thing is that's the word beak for me. It can it can cover a lot of ground emotionally. You know, it can it's it's a delicate word as well as being you know it, it can be quite funny if you want it. But it, it's also a delicate word, you know. So so another of my faves was uh, flying on the ground is all right. Just that chant. Just mm -hmm. stuck in my head all day actually super uh -huh. <laughs> oh good good yeah i mean there's uh um it's it's buffalo springfield i think right who did flying on the ground is wrong and so this is um so this is a kind of an answer to that um and i i do remember i wrote it um there's a little coffee shop on Maybachufer near where i live in berlin and this is where i wrote a lot of the the lyrics for the Manbird album. Um, just go there early in the morning and, and sit down, and do my writing. And I was sort of walking home from there, very just you know wired up, and uh, and sort of kind of the, that chant kind of came to me in the you know it's only a two or three minute walk home, but I so by the time I got upstairs, um, I was kind of cranking that one out, and uh, and it, and it even though it's sort of a I think feels a bit like it's a whimsical tune, it's still speaks to one of the, the themes of the record, uh, which is kind of, you know, kind of being grounded. You know, I'm, if, if, if on this album, I'm the, the problem is that I'm always up in the air. I'm always flying. I'm always flying one direction or the other and never even sure which direction and where am I going to land and where is home? The idea of flying on the ground is, is, is all right. Is, is meaning, you know, you get your feet stuck in the earth and you just, you, and, and so, it's a bit uh it's a bit weird that the pandemic has been the thing that has you know it's during the pandemic that that this the manbird album has been released and i've been in this place for more, more than 6 months now i've been on this farm and this is this is home and this is where i've you know been grounded you know and uh, there's a it's a farm there's a lot of dirt you know get your feet in a lot of dirt around here um so so that song it does it speaks to that 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 feeling of you know and it's hard for me. It is hard for me to settle, even though maybe across the album, I'm trying to find home. Maybe when you get there, you think, but can, can I go now? You know? So, so yeah, that album or that, that song kind of, uh, it's got, it's got more, maybe it's more of a personal meaning, but, uh, but my therapist approves, you know? So. so has it been all right these past six months being grounded? Yeah. Yeah, it has. Um, generally, I mean, I'm, I'm, pretty safe here I'm, I'm with julia and her family and we've got we got three cats and we now have a dog um and the, you know it's a, it's sort of a, a safe space you know we're, we're on a little farm here so you can just, you've got nature right out right out the door um and i've got i've got a, a recording set up um in the other room i can do all my work um 
So, oh, and my dad's nearby. So, you know, see him frequently and able to help him out, help him out with the house and take him to appointments and things like that. And um, so, you know, uh, I think overall it has been all right. It's been quite all right. Yeah. You're quite prolific. Have you been writing a lot of new stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I am prolific. And yes, I've been writing. Uh, The first batch of of material that I wrote, um, you know, in the pandemic uh, age era, you know, um, was a, was a, a sort of a bunch of tunes that were falling under the, uh, the title, the Falco years, because we, because when I first got here, we put on, we, we'd listen to Falco at dinner time, And, uh, I thought, I just want to make a record that sounds and feels like that kind of a party record and, uh, you know, kind of a you know, tight, tight synths and drum machines. Everything's just kind of right here. You don't need to go all over the place to, to make this kind of record. So I started recording like that. And, uh, a lot of the songs are terrible, you know. I'm still trying to write ABBA songs, but they just, but through a through a Falco filter, and one way or another, it just wasn't really happening. Um, but more recently, I've finally kind of hit upon the uh, uh, the, the title and concept of a um, of a next proper record, and so I've I've got um, so I've started writing songs for an album called Power Pop, um, uh, paying homage to the to the genre that I'm very often uh, associated with and yet you know i don't really feel i, I don't quite understand uh I, to me to me the genre of power pop is is it's very much about self-limitation you know we just want things to be okay like they were before the beatles took drugs you know it's like, but that's when they got good man you know so uh so i'm writing a power pop record that will hopefully put the uh, power pop industry out of business and ruin my career once and for all but anyway, but it's 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 fun because it's it's um, I'm just I, at least it's giving me something to write about. So. That's the thing about power pop. Like it sounds like those two words seem like they should be the greatest thing ever, and yeah. often it's just very much the samey sort of stuff that is not. I mean, there's some great power pop stuff, but as a whole, I can't say you know it's really done much for me. But uh, despite me wanting it to, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's all it always starts with the that's the drum fill every song starts with that drum fill and and it's just a bunch of middle-aged men you know shaking their beetle wigs and and you know longing for that girl who who you know walked away or whatever happened this unrequited you know emotionally stunted (laughs) situation that i just i find you know at worst offensive you know it's like i don't want i don't i live for music that goes everywhere you know, that's brave and weird. And, and, you know, and I don't know that I do that myself, but I mean, that, that's what I wish I did. I wish I could, you know, you know, I should since you know about the nurse with wound, what, you know, wh- that's what I would, why, why don't, you know, I want to reach for that. You know, I feel like I'm not doing enough in the world if I don't, if I don't challenge myself somehow. Uh, I like, I love pop music. Uh, ABBA we're talking about, but you know, the power pop thing, there are a million three minute pop songs that are just fantastic. And I live for that. I still want to do that more than anything else. Make those three minute perfect pop songs. But, you know, when Julian Cope does try, try, try or something like that, when he does a three minute pop song, it's holy, you know, it's epic. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's there to kind of hit the whole world. You know, it's, I, I don't, I don't like music that just says, Oh, let's keep things right here. If that's okay. Because, you know, and that's that's what I feel the, the power pop genre is so much about, you know. And uh, but you know, so power pop is one thing, but pop music, I love pop music. You know, Julian Cope and ABBA, they're doing the same thing in in that regard. But then Julian Cope is, uh, you know, he's gone elsewhere as well, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. <laughs> so speaking of taking things different, the next song I was going to ask you about was "Even the Swans Are Dirty," which is. A departure from the other songs on the record. It's it's kind of intense and spacey at the same time. Hmm. That's funny because you just missed Julia. She she uh, just came in to get her her glasses, and um, she and I were walking around Berlin. And, <laughs> am I allowed to tell the story? We were walking around Berlin, and um, and she she's sort of always teasing me because you know I just I'm just in love with Berlin. I just it's. You know, from the moment I, I got there, this is it, you know. And I think she's a bit more skeptical 
and uh, and uh, so the joke is that you know oh, it's so filthy here, it's just so dirty here, and and so the song references things like the mattresses on the street. You know, there's always a mattress on this every street, and um, and graffiti everywhere, and so forth. And um, so we were kind of we were joking one day as we walked along the canal, and, and um, I think she saw a brown a brown swan and said, "Even the swans are dirty." <laughs> You know? And so it's like, you know, so of course, you know, out comes the, out comes the notebook and, um, and, uh, and you know, out comes a song. Um, so it was, it was fun to do that one and try, try to make, make it sound dirty, you know, in its way. But, um, uh, but yeah, it's a, that's a, that song is a, a really nice snapshot for me. It's a fun, it's a fun little memory. You know, we were, we were having a good time in Berlin and, and, uh, trying to capture something of that in the song so another one i really like was back to the egg just sort of like Mm. this lovely sort of evening-esque pop song yeah and that was written that was on the farm um it's funny because i i I started writing even the swans are dirty in berlin but i i think the bulk of that actually took place here in, in in this house on the farm um but back to the egg there's a little house right next door uh which they they refer to as the little house or the honey house when 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 it's uh when it's bee season they do all the honey processing in there um you know i'm there i'm helping out cranking out the uh, cranking out the uh, the honey but um uh that's the back to the egg is the only song that i've actually written in that little house and it was it was really nice it was um it was a summertime and i just kind of brought my 12 string guitar over there sat down and just strummed out this little tune and um you know so I, I know it's, it's probably uh, some of this is probably lost on on the listeners uh, when I'm going on about this little house next door. But just just picture, you know, this sweet little place that hasn't kind of changed in decades. This little house next door. Um, yeah, I just sat on this comfy little chair and and uh, it's a little song, "Back to the Egg." But uh, but again, it's that it's the same theme as as so many of the songs on the record. You know, and it's kind of tries trying to bring things full circle. So I was listening to a bunch of those stuff on Bandcamp. I really dug uh, the Moon Hat Live album, especially the piano-based <laughs> songs on that. God, yeah. You're one of, I think, eight people who, who've heard the record now. That's a weird little record. Yeah, it was, um, it's, it's a live record made, God, when was that? Like 2000 or something like that? I recorded the whole thing on a, on a mini disc. Um, and it's a, it's a live record that's meant to, to, to clearly not be a single performance. It's very, it's very cut and spliced um, together so that you get the, the one song ends and the applause from a completely different gig kicks in and, and so forth. Uh, so it's, it's meant to be, it's still meant as a stoner headphone experience, <laughs> you know, um, like all these records that I make are. But uh, yeah, I'm glad you like the piano stuff that I was doing. I was doing a lot of little kind of quiet cafe gigs at the time. Um, and so it was always a chance to kind of try out, you know, some of the old songs that may have, you know, because I sort of, I mostly play guitar in, in concert. And so the chance to do piano, I've been doing more and more piano in, in recent years, coming, coming back to it. Cause that's more, I'm a you know, piano is where I started. anyway. So. And uh, in the liner notes on the Bandcamp page, it says that live shows and albums, have never seemed to have anything to do with each other. Tell me about that. Well, you know, I, I made an album with the Bevis Frond called King of Missouri, and it came out in 2001 or 2002, something like that. And so, and that was a very straightforward record, kind of a two guitars, bass and drums thing. And, uh, and we didn't have any time to make that record any weirder. I wish, I wish I, had the budget to just do one more day in the studio, but I was in England for two weeks. Exactly. We had five days to do the recording, five days to do the mixing, you know, and that was it. And then I flew home. And um, so, so my preference was to make a weirder record out of it and I didn't have the time or the money. So I got, I got back to California and when that record came out, my band here at the time, they were thrilled because they had a record that they could, they could do. <laughs> they had, they, you know, they didn't have to say, you know, the guitar player didn't have to ask, well, what do you want me to do about that synth part? Is that supposed to be for me? You know, um, it was all laid out, you know, here's the guitar solo, here's the rhythm guitar, here's the bass track, here's, you know, and, um, 
So it was a, it was a fun time for, for, for my band because we were doing something that sounded like my records. Um, but I just, you know, I, I, I generally prefer making records. You know, I just like, I like playing with stuff, playing with the sounds and, 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 and playing with space time, you know. Um, and at certain gigs, certain gigs I can do that too. Um, I think of, you know, there are a lot of gigs. There's a place in, in Berlin called Madame Claude where I've done, I've played there since before I moved there. And uh, they've, they've got a piano down there. And, um, it's it's a, one of those spaces where you feel you can take take the show in a completely other direction. It's not It's not just about music. It's a performance art thing or you know it can be comedy or you know just a surrealist freak show and then then you sit down and do a song and everyone thinks oh oh he's a singer songwriter you know it's all kind of there at once but there's no way for me to even take something like that and put it into an album or at least i don't know how to do that so so no matter what kind of gig i'm doing whether it's a very straightforward gig with a band and we're just rocking through my tunes or i'm doing something weirdo with a piano and a you know, uh, boombox or who knows. Um, it never, it never feels the same as as the records I'm making. And I always feel like the records are. I don't always get the records right, but they they at least feel more like what I'm, you know, what I like to do. You know. I was reading an old interview where you mentioned that your gigs in Cambridge have always been very special. Oxford. I bet. Oxford. I bet it was Oxford. I bet it was oh. Oxford. Oh dang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's funny because. Hmm? Sorry, go on. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Oxford. Um, even though I, even though Cambridge, I, I lived in Cambridge for years. Um, my time in Oxford has always. Been, I mean, I, I've lived in Oxford as well, but only you know months at a time here and there, and then sometimes weeks at a time. But Oxford has always been. Uh, that's a home base for me in England, and um, yeah, it's always been good. For, Oxford has always been good to me. And, and um, again, all kinds of gigs, whether it's straight rock band gigs or the weirdo gigs or, or any kind, but I've, I've done, I've done so much, so much there. I mean, like I said, I lived in Cambridge five years and I, I didn't play there very much, you know, oh, okay. a bit, but, um, but yeah, Oxford, there's something just, there's just, it's a magical place. I've had so many moments in my life that have, you know, just been thrilling or, or heartbreaking, but, but that, that city is kind of, it's got it going on. And there's an Oxford variation of the title track, Man Bird. Right, right, right. Um, which features um, Sharon Krauss, who I knew when she was living. I actually met, I met her when she came to, I met her in Sacramento when she was coming to Auburn, which is where I am now, to work with an artist called Christian Kiefer. But, uh, and then, and she stayed at my dad's house for a few days while she needed a place. And so I ended up renting her room when she'd moved to Philadelphia. So I was living in, in Oxford at, at her place for a little while. Um, so she's on there, a uh, wonderful uh, artist. And Sue Jordan is on that track. And she's somebody, she was my singing partner in Oxford for, for, for a while. We did a couple records together. Um, and John from, the band Stornoway is playing cello on that track and um, Stornoway are just, you know, one of my favorite bands, what an incredibly talented, beautiful band. And so, so just, yeah, getting, getting those folks um, on, on that, on that track was, was important because, you know, I, I wanted, even though the record is kind of focused on Berlin and Sacramento, you know, kind of the back and forth, um, you know, uh, Oxford is, is just such a huge part of the story for me. And we, we finished the record in Oxford as well, in the sense that I booked a recording session and, and had kind of a, a gang of people show up to do some singing um, in these pre-pandemic days when you could do things like that. And so the record, the, the final session for the album took place in Oxford. And that was, you know, symbolic as well as just, you know, practical. So Nice. Yeah. Oh, there's one more question I wanted to ask you. Uh, mm -hmm. You met Graham Chapman. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's nice. It's nice of you to ask because um, that was really cool. He was. I think his show at the time was like a Cinemax or HBO, some sort of cable show on television called Dangerous Film Club. Is that right? Is this, that sounds I think familiar. It, I think that's what it was, the Dangerous Film Club, and it was um. What was it sort of just odd? 
odd old, you know, maybe instructional film clips, you know, safety in the workplace clips that, that I, don't, I don't remember exactly. Was he doing sort of comedy voiceovers or something like that? A little bit like mystery science theater type thing. Anyway, so he was touring to promote this television show and he'd come to Sacramento, the little, little comedy club there. And, um, you know, it was fine. Just like, just the thrill to see a Python. Right. And, uh, and then afterwards, um, you know, because, because for me, like many people, I mean, George Harrison himself said something like he felt that the Pythons inherited the spirit of the Beatles when the Beatles split up. And so for me, you know, the Python was probably as big an influence in my life as, as the Beatles. So yeah, there's, there's the background of, of how thrilling this is for me. So he's, he comes out to do the little meet and greet afterwards and just, just answering questions. And I just said, um, I said, so, you know, what's your favorite Beatles album? And he, and he was startled by this. It was so lovely. He just said, oh, what a lovely question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, he says, well, I'd, I'd have to say Sgt. Pepper's. He says, but, but, but of course, my favorite album of all time is Imagine by, that's John Lennon. You know, it, it was really, it was a really lovely moment. You know, wow. um, I mean, I, I just, I like the fact that he, he was genuinely, you know, startled and touched by the question. Yeah. Um, and, but just the fact that his answer was just so rich for, for, for both of us, you know. Yeah. Sergeant, Sergeant Pepper, but Imagine is Imagine was his favorite record of all time. What a you know, it was just a moment, a real moment. And I mean, he he died. I don't remember. It was a year or two later. So yeah. And I was actually I was at a I was at a Robin Hitchcock gig in San Francisco uh, the the day that, that Graham Chapman had died, and Robin didn't know this until he until the encore. So he came out uh, to do the encore, and he was just stunned. You know. Wow. So that was. You know, so another another moment, you know. Yeah. So, what's your favorite Beatles record? Uh, Sergeant Pepper's, yeah. actually. <laughs> it is. Um, it always is. Um, yeah. But uh, but I was listening to to Meet the Beatles again recently, and uh, kind of coming back to the American records, all the ones that we grew up on, that uh, that we had to sort of you know push aside when when the when the CDs were released, and that we we finally came to the proper British versions, and so. Uh, coming back to meet the Beatles and thinking that's a damn great record, you know, in its own right, you know, it's, it really is. And so um, I think that's, that's second in line after, after Sergeant Pepper. So. Cool. Yeah. So what's, what's the future hold for you? Well, I'm still not sure when I'm going back to Berlin. You know, my, 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 my world of Berlin is, 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 is unsettled right now. And, and as is the whole world with, with, with COVID, you know, um, because part of why I would be in Berlin is to be able to do my touring from there. Um, you know, I, I would have this year done um, France and Spain and the UK plus scattered Berlin gigs. That's, and that would have been with Berlin as my base. So, I'm not always sure what I, you know, what my life is going to be in Berlin uh, in the future. So, so that's kind of a, one of the question marks that's hanging right now. And, um, and, you know, it is hard to answer, isn't it? Because, because of the, the yeah. pandemic, you know, we're all just kind of, everyone's kind of having to be really careful and stay, stay where we can. Um, but otherwise, you know, just more music. I, you know, I've mentioned the power pop record and I've got another thing probably coming out next year. Actually, in a few days, there's an album called Bag of Kittens by Alice in Seconds that's being reissued. And that's a record that I, that I wrote and produced. I did, you know, so I, I'm the songwriter on the record, but Alison's the, the singer. And, and that's a, I'm really happy that record's coming out again. Um, it's a, just a really sweet record from 2009. It never had a, any promotion at the time. So it's, it's coming out on the, the Bigster label now and um, get a bit more attention. It's got, it's got Kimberly Rue from the Soft Boys playing on there and um, uh, a few other groovy people. And it's a cool record. So oh, that's nice. coming out. And, yeah. And then I just kind of otherwise keep, keep uh, cranking them out. And the, the, the Power Pop record um, should be interesting. Yeah. I'll keep you updated on that one. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool, man. It's been great talking to you. You got anything else you want to add before we sign off? Uh, probably not. <laughs> This has been lovely. It's been really nice. And then, you know, I, I don't, you know, I know I should probably 
look at my notes or be told what to plug, you know, oh, don't forget me. So, I mean, sure, uh, buy, please do buy my Mandarin album. It's on Bandcamp. There you go. All right. That was great. I love the story about him hearing that song on the radio in the early 70s and ever since trying to write it. And like we were talking about discovering artists with a huge back catalog to get into. And that, that's the way I feel, you know, now discovered Mr. Barboso recently. He's got over 20 albums and I've been digging what I've heard, man. His collaboration with Allison Seconds that he mentioned has now been re-released, Bag of Kittens, and oh man, the tune, If I Could Bring You Trouble, is killer. Been stuck in my head all day. It's a duet between the two of them. So check out Anton's stuff over at AntonBarbo.com or his Bandcamp, AntonBarbo.Bandcamp.com. I'm really psyched I discovered him recently. I have all this great music to take in. In Southpaw News, I put up Decalogue 5 the other day, which is a collection of stories from the Young Southpaw Part of an Hour podcast. You can find this over at the Young Southpaw Bandcamp, youngsouthpaw.bandcamp.com. This one's got stories like Meet the Beatles and Your First Existential Crisis, Drew in Kiss, which is about what Drew Barrymore's makeup would have been if she had joined the band, and there's Why Wasn't Spuds McKenzie and Wilson Phillips? And seven other feats of absurdity, as they say. Do check out the Lost Archimedes album, too. That's on Bandcamp as well. The Quietest gave that a great review recently, calling it far more interesting than your usual stand-up album. Thank you very much. That record I'm talking about, Interdimensional Reptilian Pancakes, Ancient Taylor Swift's, Action figures of Jean-Paul Sartre, also in Kiss Makeup. All in the name of love, you know? So check those out. If you dig these podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. Shares, always appreciated. Tell your friends, you know? Like we mentioned in this interview, on this show I've recently talked to Steve Kilby of The Church as well as Matt Osmond from Suede, Rob and Amelia from Heavenly. Been a string of great guests so far on the Etc. Show. So thank you very much for listening. And I'm going to play you out with my favorite song from Anton's new record, Man Bird. This one's called Memory Tone. <laughs> I'm knocking at the doorbell But no keys are tossed from window to the ground I've been trying to remember All the words inside your letter But the words are blurred There's nothing but a sound The memory tone Won't leave me Midnight, baby, all the clocks go bomb And now I'm stranded at the airport Music drifting from a speaker And all I'm left with is this sentimental song Memory